I invite you to stand together as we consider God's Word for today. Our passage is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Familiar passage. We're going to read it, read it together. Let's join together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trust in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You have an, uh, an outline this morning that I uh, hope will be helpful as we look at God's Word together. I did something this past Christmas that I never thought I would do. For Becky's Christmas gift, I bought four sessions of ballroom dance lessons for the two of us. I did that because I know how much she loves that and because I know how horrible I am at dancing. We start tonight. (laughs) And that dance instructor is going to teach me how to waltz and do the salsa and the swing and... Whatever else you learn at dance classes. (laughs) Now, suppose, and this is a huge stretch, suppose that I do extremely well in the classes. So well that I'm her star student. Now suppose that when the classes are over, I never dance. I never do anything with the insights that I have. What difference does knowing how to dance make If you never dance. You and I have something far more valuable than knowledge of dance. You and I, because of our faith, if you have faith, have knowledge of God. But not just knowledge of God, experience of God understanding of God's grace and nurture, and and we have a relationship and experience the love of God if we have faith. Now, suppose we have knowledge of God. We have faith. And yet, we never 
practice it in day-to-day life. It's possible to know how to dance and never dance. It is possible to have faith and never live it out in our day-to-day lives. Which is why this morning we're launching a new series of messages entitled, What Difference Does Faith Make? Does it make any difference at all? Is faith something that provides us some meaning and comfort and solace when we're in church on Sunday morning sitting in a worship service? Uh, or, is it, or does it go beyond that? Is it something that impacts every aspect of our life and influences and touches every arena of our life? What difference does faith make in our relationships, in our decisions, in, in our work, etc., etc.? And so we're starting with a simple premise, and it's this. Faith is meant to make a difference in our lives. And faith in God can make a huge and tremendous difference. And what we're going to do together is explore ways that faith does that. We're going to talk about what difference faith makes in parenting. What difference faith makes as we go through times of crisis. What difference does faith make uh, in our work and in our careers. What difference does faith make uh, in how we view politics. What difference does our faith make in life and death situations. And today, because it's Valentine's, we're going to focus on the first topic, which is this. What difference does faith make in marriage? Now, I know that not everybody here is married. I understand that. But don't tune out because really the things we're going to talk about are applicable in just about every human relationship that we have. But our target focus is going to be on marriage. Maybe you heard about the bride who was uh, very nervous as her wedding day approached and she went to her pastor and, and said, uh, Pastor, uh, I'm just a nervous wreck. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it without, through the ceremony without just falling apart. And he said, Honey, don't you worry about a thing. So he says, when that door opens and, and you begin, the, the wedding begins, you're gonna, the doors are going to open, you're going to walk down that aisle. That aisle that you and your family have been walking down Ever since you were a little girl, you just focus on that eye. He said, and then when you're about halfway down, I want you to look up. And you're going to see the altar. That altar that you have knelt at hundreds of times. And then when you get just about up to the front, you're going to look up and you're going to see him, your groom. He's going to be so handsome and he's, he's waiting to, to receive you as his bride. But you focus on him. Well, she seemed to be uh, encouraged by the pastor's uh, suggestions and she said, you know, I feel a whole lot better. I'm going to do that. 
The wedding day arrived, the doors opened. The bride begins her trek down the aisle. The people sitting on the front pew, on, next to the pew, they were a little shocked, though, to hear her muddle under her breath. Aisle, altar, him. Aisle, altar, him. Some of you resemble that remark. What difference does faith make in marriage? Well, the, the first thing that we've got to say before we get into any particulars is that you cannot even understand or properly define marriage without the beginning point being faith in God. Because that defines it. I want you to write on your outline these two words. I want you on the left side to write the word contract. And on the other, to the right, write the word covenant. Contract, covenant. Now, what's the difference between the two? A contract is a binding agreement between two parties, two equal parties who both come to the table, both have input into the terms of the relationship. And they're two equal parties. They negotiate, they sign a paper, there's a contract. A lot of people in today's culture see marriage as a contract between those two equal parties. Matter of fact, some folks out in Hollywood these days are actually formalizing that contract notion in the fact that they're drafting what they call prenuptial agreements. I think that's absurd. Let's go ahead and just call it what, the, what that is. It's an exit strategy, basically, is what it's mounting to. Some people see marriage as a contract between two equal parties. Now, a covenant is different from a contract. How is it different? Whereas a contract is an agreement between two parties who equally have input into the arrangement, a covenant is a binding relationship in which one party is superior than the other. And that party party determines the conditions of the agreement. Some of you might live in a subdivision, a neighborhood, that has a covenant. And if so, you understand that when you buy a house in that subdivision, you sign the covenant. You have no input into the terms of the covenant because you're not the superior party in the agreement. The homeowners association doesn't say, here's the covenant, Uh, is there anything you'd like to change? You understand the notion that with a covenant, they, that sets the rules. You don't determine the rules. And therefore, if you want to paint your house a certain color, or if you want to put a satellite dish up, or if you want to put a swing in your front yard, none of that can happen unless it is approved by the covenant. Marriage is not a contract between two people. Marriage, properly understood, 
is a covenant that two people have with another party, God, who is the superior partner in the agreement. God is the partner that sets the terms of the agreement. The man and the woman are the other party who, out of love for one another, are committing themselves to one another and are committing themselves to God. When Becky and I were dating, I was accountable to her daddy for how I treated her. If I mistreated her, if I kept her out later than it was acceptable for him, there was a price to pay. Because I was accountable to him. But on our wedding day, there at the church, there at the altar, Becky was here, her daddy was here. No, I got that backwards. Becky was here, her daddy was here, and I was here. In other words, her daddy is in between us. At that point, I'm still accountable to him. But at some point in the ceremony, the pastor said, All right, who gives this woman to be married? And her daddy said, Her mother and I. Something significant happened. He took a step back, went and sat down. Becky and I took a step together. At that moment, I was no longer accountable to Ernest Tucker for how I treated his daughter. From that moment on, I took on a greater accountability, and that was an accountability to God for how I treated his daughter. Because this agreement was not between Becky and me. This was a covenant between Becky and me with God. That's the difference that faith makes in understanding at a fundamental level, what marriage is. It's a covenant with God. Now, having that understanding, which is not the understanding that a lot of people have, what is it practically that faith does, faith in God, relationship with God, what is it that faith does in our lives that actually makes a difference in marriage? What is it that faith does that makes a marriage succeed and flourish when otherwise it might crash and burn? In 38 years of ministry, and even more importantly, in 38 years of marriage, I have discovered that there are any number of things that are very important to make marriage flourish. And that list is long. But this morning, I just want to lift up what I believe are the three most crucial. These are non-negotiables. These are must-haves. If you don't have these, your marriage is in serious jeopardy. Here they are. The first is patience. Patience. In marriage, you need to understand that intentionally or unintentionally, you are going to do things that are going to try each other's patience. You're going to get on each other's nerves from time to time. You're going to rush to judgment about things. 
There are going to be times when you're going to have to exercise enormous patience with your spouse. I'm convinced that the reason that a lot of marriages divorce in, in divorce within the first five years is because couples don't understand this. They don't understand the importance of patience. When I'm talking to young couples who are contemplating getting married, I'll look at the, the bride-to-be and I'll say, you know what, ever since you were a little girl, you probably had this, this image of the, 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 the knight in shining armor riding up on the white horse and he's going to pick you up and swoop you off to, to live happily ever after. And then I, I, I'll look at her groom and I'll say, I know he's a nice guy. He's probably got a lot of good qualities. But he is far from perfect. He has never been a husband before. He has no clue, trust me. He has no clue of what it means to be a faithful husband in a married relationship. You're going to have to exercise patience with him. He's got a lot to learn. And you're going to have to be very patient with him as he grows and matures and develops in what a godly husband and father is supposed to be. And I'll look at him and I'll say, uh, you know, you've probably got this all, all your life. You've, you've created this image of what the perfect wife is going to be like. And I'll look at her and I'll say, you know what, she's beautiful. No doubt about it. And she's probably spent the last 12 months reading every bridal magazine that's out there. But she's clueless about marriage. She has never been a wife before. And she's got a lot to learn. Marriage is, is different from anything else. And so you're going to have to exercise some patience as she grows and matures and develops into what that means. But I've also discovered this, folks, and, and you know this, that the need for patience extends far beyond just the first five years of marriage. I mean, let's face it, regardless of how long you have, you have been married, patience is hugely important. And we have to fight against impatience. How many of you in the last, regardless of how long you've been married, how many of you have had a situation in the last week where you had your patience tested by your spouse? I, I, there's, about three, there's about three or four honest folks out there. The rest of you are lying through your teeth. I'm convinced that one-third of the problems, the conflict in marriage, is not on major big stuff, but it's just on us being impatient with one another. But how many times have, uh, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many times have you had an argument or a disagreement with your spouse, and it just got heated? And then two days later, you're thinking back, you cannot even remember what the argument was about. What that means is it wasn't some major deal. It was something that was, the irritation was started by an impatience in your part or that other person's part. And you just started an argument. Well, let me tell you this. Now, this is important. Think about this. Patience. Let's see what time I got. What time are y'all getting? Uh-oh, I better hurry up. Patience is not a natural endowment. We're not born with this innate bent towards patience. 
our natural inclination is to get irritable, to get to be impatient. But to be patient is not a natural endowment. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. The second key component in marriage is forgiveness. Forgiveness. A person for whom forgiveness and forgiving others is difficult, that person is going to have a hard, hard time being married. Because intentionally or unintentionally, you're going to do things that hurt one another, that disappoint one another, that upset one another. There are going to be times when you're going to have to forgive the other even when you don't feel like it. But even harder, there are going to be times when you're going to have to ask to be forgiven when deep down you don't think you did anything wrong. But for the sake of the relationship, you know it's a smart thing to do. Sometimes I'll look at Becky and she'll look like she's upset and I'll say, what's wrong? Nothing. (laughs) Well, come on, be honest. Is, Is there a problem? Nope. There's nothing wrong. Nothing. I learned very soon that nothing never means nothing. It always means something. And whenever I'm in that situation, I know that that most likely I'm going to be in a position where I'm going to have to ask for forgiveness of something that I'm not sure what it was I did. But she usually lets me know. Now think about this. Forgiveness is not a natural endowment. We are not born with this innate leaning to forgive folks. What comes naturally to us is when someone hurts us or disappoints us, what comes naturally for us is to, to, to hold a grudge, to be angry, to seek revenge. It's not a natural endowment. I'm convinced that one-third of the conflicts that we experience in marriage has to do with an unforgiving spirit between those two people. All right? The third thing. The third component that you've got to have in a successful marriage is, is love. Now, this, seems, this sounds obvious. But the kind of love that I'm talking about here that, that sustains marriage over the long haul and creates lasting, vibrant marriage is a love that, that's unique. It's the kind of love that we talked about in our scripture just a moment ago. And I would describe it as an other-directed love. It is a love that puts the wants and the needs and the happiness of the other above your own. It's a love... Husbands, that causes you to be more interested and more uh, desiring for her happiness and her fulfillment than your own. 
And wives, it's a love for your husband that makes you more interested day in and day out for his needs and his happiness and his fulfillment than your own. Now, when you've got two people in a relationship loving each other with that other directed kind of love, it makes for a tremendously strong bond. But it's got to be that kind of love. You see, I know a lot of marriages today where the two people love one another, but the marriage is falling apart. It's just barely hanging on. Why? It's the wrong kind of love. Now, maybe you scratch your head and say, Stuart, that's ridiculous. What, what can you mean a wrong kind of love? Well, I mean this. A lot of marriages, the two people love one another, but it's a love that says this. I love you because you do this and this and this and this for me. I love you because of what I get out of this relationship. That kind of love will not sustain marriage for the long haul. It will take a love that puts the wants and the needs of the other above the self. Now think about this. That other directed kind of love is not a natural endowment. We're not born with this innate bent towards denying ourselves for the sake of the other. What comes naturally for us, what comes instinctively for us is love self, me first, everyone out for themselves. And yet it's a necessary component for marriage, this other directed kind of love. I'm convinced that one-third of the conflicts and problems that arise in marriages is due to an improper understanding of what Love means and how it's applied. So let's, let's tie all these ends together. We've got three things that are necessary for marriage. Patience, forgiveness, and love. None of them are natural endowments. Where are they going to come from? I'm absolutely convinced that they come to us in the measure that we need as a direct result of our relationship with God. You see, as, as we're seeking to live a, a life of faith and trust in God, God gives us the capacity for patience. God gives us the capacity to forgive. God gives us the capacity for that other directed kind of love. And that's where faith comes in. It provides the things most needed to make the marriage flourish. Trust me. On your own, you cannot exercise the kind of patience that is sometimes going to be necessary in your relationship with your spouse or with your family. Because on your own, you're going to be short-tempered. You're going to have a short fuse. You're going to get impatient. It's only as God gives you the capacity for genuine, true patience that you'll be able to demonstrate it. On your own, you cannot forgive your husband or your wife or your family members. You cannot forgive in the level and in the way that they need. Because on your own, you're going to be hurt, you're going to be resentful, you're going to hold on to a grudge, you're going to be mad. 
It's only as you relinquish self and allow the Spirit of God to overcome your hurt and overcome your disappointment and overcome your anger and that you'll have the capacity to forgive. On your own, you cannot love your husband or your wife or your family the way they need and deserve because on your own, you're going to fall back into the trap of, of focusing on yourself, loving yourself, spending your time and attention on yourself. It's only as, as God, Spirit flowing through you, frees you from that self-driven love to give you the capacity to put the wants and the needs of others above the self. If you are trying to build or manage a marriage without faith in God, you are denying yourself access to the source of the very things you need most to make the marriage work. That's the difference faith makes. Let's pray together. God, maybe there's some marriages this morning that started out full of love and laughter and fun and wonder and amazement. And maybe those marriages have grown stale and lifeless. Maybe some of them are on the verge of even uh, ending altogether. Oh God, help those two people to understand and to know that marriage is too complex and too challenging to go it alone. But by faith in you and submitting our hearts and our lives to your, your spirit, you give us the very things needed. You give us the capacity to show patience, to extend forgiveness, to love unselfishly. Well, God, we we pray, O oh God, that for those, if there are any this morning, who are seeking to build a marriage on their own insights and abilities, they'll be wise enough to understand that marriage is not an agreement between the two of them. It's a covenant that the two of them have made with God, with you. And that the marriage will flourish only when those two people are not just loving each other, but even more so are loving you, inviting your spirit to have your way in them and giving them that which they need most. Well, God, we thank you for the gift of faith that you have given us. May we always guard against the temptation to limit our faith to what it does for us when we are here in this sanctuary. Help us to understand the importance of taking that faith and allowing it to impact 
every other aspect of our lives. Because it can and truly does make a difference. It's in the name and spirit of Christ that we pray. Amen.